what we see happening, if, if you really look through as this section of Scripture unfolds, and we're going to end up going, having a little background before we move into this, is uh, what's happening here is these men are continuing to do what Christ has appointed them to do, and that is to go and speak in His name. We remember that when they had first entered the temple after those days, they looked at that crippled man and they had said to him, What? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. That is the theme in our consideration today, the name of Jesus. Something not to be taken lightly or smallly. And if we even understand the scope of it, it is a glorious name. Not just a glorious name. I often say this. Sometimes our words like glorious and majestic. They're just not big enough for the greatness of our God. When we look at a few verses as it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1. Speaking of Christ in verse 21. It says after he uh, rose again and is at the right hand in the heavenly places. It says far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. It's listed those things that are profound and amazing in the eyes of men. Power and authority and rule. He's far above those things. And it says, and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the one that is to come. The name of Jesus is no small thing. And it becomes too commonplace in our, in our world today. And I want us to recover that. I mean, tragically, it is probably the most used name. Even at times by those who are worldly. In an expression to certain things or in response to things. They will speak out the name Jesus with no thought of who he is. With no thought of what he's done. Really, in a sense, taking his name in vain and taking it lightly. Too often, it even seems to happen. And you'll hear this at times, maybe in political venues and such. Someone will give a closing prayer. And sometimes they simply end it by saying, and in your name. They don't actually say the name. They're a little bit maybe afraid to say the name because that makes it sound less open. We are glad to name the name of Jesus that is above every name. Philippians 2 says it this way in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, this is no small thing. And when we begin to contemplate the name, and that's the first point today, is understanding the name of Jesus. Just a simple thought that sometimes we need to go back a little bit. What is the name of Jesus? And there's a lot that goes around these days. Uh, 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 there, you can even find people promoting, well, Jesus was a Jew and he was Aramaic. Therefore, his name would have been Yeshua. So we need to stop calling him Jesus and stop calling him Jesus. And we need to call him Yeshua. Which is fun and interesting and possibly historically accurate. And yet, it is... God himself, by his Holy Spirit, that has given us the New Testament, that did not say Yeshua. 
that chose to translate the name into Greek and say Jesus, of which our English is Jesus. So whether you want to call him Yeshua, Jesus, or Jesus, it does not matter. They all point to the same thing. And, and the explanation of that was given to us in Luke chapter 1. As the angel speaks to Joseph concerning the child that will be born of Mary, his betrothed. And he says this, the angel, or no, this is speaking to, um, yes, yeah, speaking to him, says, listen. She, Matthew one twenty one, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now listen closely. For he will save his people from their sin. I love that. This is why you call him Jesus. Because he will save. Listen closely. Not he's going to try. Not he's going to give it his best shot. Not he may or he might. It says what? He will save. It is something he is surely going to accomplish. Again, we do note this. Not all are ultimately saved. But Jesus will save his people from their sins. What a powerful word. Now, if you go back far enough, you would see uh, verses like this in Psalm chapter 3, verse 8. It simply says this. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. That refrain is restated once again in Revelation chapter 7 verse 10. But with a little addition. So that we understand something greater about the scope and complexity of our God. It says this again. They cry out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who is that Lamb? And we remember the words of John the Baptist as Jesus is passing by. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. More than that, even as, as the angel spoke to Mary and was explaining to him concerning the child that would be born of her. It says this in Luke 1.35. The angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child born to you will be called Holy, the Son of the Most High. Now, when Jesus spoke later and told the children of Israel that he was the Son of God, they immediately wanted to stone him. Why? They said, we want to stone him because he is making himself equal to God. Well, what does John 1, 1 tell us? And we've, most of us have, have, have memorized John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is this Word? It is Jesus. This Jesus who is the Son of God. He himself is God, very God. And that you will call his name Jesus. That term, Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua, simply means God is salvation. 
And Jesus is the God who saves. Fully God, fully man. And we have that amazing mystery that is one of those evidences that just sets the faith and grace of God apart from all the other things that exist. Because God has revealed himself in a way that no myth of man ever has. In a way that remains a profound mystery that is ultimately at this time beyond our full comprehension. There is one God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son is not the Father. The Spirit is not the Son. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are in some sense distinct, but not separate. There is one God. And our minds just say, what is all of this? And the reality is, if men are making up religions, and they have made a multitude of religions in this world. They always make it so that men get it. But as God has revealed himself, he reveals a God that nobody fully comprehends, that just goes beyond our understanding, which is not surprising because the scriptures reveal him to be beyond our understanding, reveal his ways to be unsearchable and his judgments inscrutable. The mystery of the divine God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and in his Son, whom he sent, we have salvation. God saves. Oh, and, and it's, 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 not a, it's not a hesitation. It's not an uncertainty. He will save his people from their sins. It tells us this in Matthew eleven twenty seven. And I urge you to note these down and look them up because sometimes, you know, this is, this is part of my own experience growing up. We hear verses and we hear teaching and we've been in church so long that we sometimes have stopped thinking. And we, sometimes we've stopped listening. And sometimes I look at verses and think, it, it, did I for years read these in the dark? <laughs> because they, what they say is so clear, yet somehow it didn't get through to me. Matthew chapter 11 verse 27 says this, Jesus says this, All things have been handed over to be my, me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Jesus says what? I will save my people. He will save his people from his sins. How? Because no matter how much darkness in them, by the grace of God in Christ, a light will dawn upon them. That which they could not previously see, which they could not otherwise know, when the grace of God in, tri in, in truth, in Christ, shines its light upon them, they now see the glory of God in the face of Christ by divine revelation, and they believe. What amazing gift God has given to us. Jesus says to some of those who were confused about this in John chapter 8, some of those who were opposing him, he tells them this, listen to me, whoever is of God, hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. 
This is why you don't listen. Jesus says also in John chapter 10, look, John 10 verse 25, Jesus said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. And he says these beautiful words, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life. I love this because listen, my sheep hear my voice and we get it turned around. Somehow in our minds, we, we've mixed it up. We think that when we follow, we become his sheep. No, 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 no. Listen closely. My sheep hear my voice. The reason why we hear is because by the grace of God, we are his sheep. He will save his people from their sins. We follow because we're sheep. Before we follow, we're lost sheep. But by the grace of God, the good shepherd... He calls his own. He says later in John 10, I have many others who are not of this fold. I must bring them also. He must bring them. This is what he has been tasked. It is the will of the Father that I should not lose any that he has given me, but raise them all up on the last day. What a glorious reality. When we understand the name of Jesus, it encapsulates all of salvation. That salvation is a work of God. That, that the accomplishment and the application of salvation into all of our lives is because of the person and power of Jesus at work through the gospel in the spirit whom he has sent. I mean... If we just understood how much of, of the of gospel clarity and correction comes from just a right understanding of the name of Jesus. It just transforms a multitude of, th of things. Even it says this in 1 John chapter 4 verse 6 as the apostle writes. He says this. We are from God. 1 John 4 6. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. That's how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Who listens to God? They listen to God through Christ, through the apostles. Basically, they say, you know what? What the scriptures say, it is true. Yes and amen. We listen to it. We believe it. And, and, and so not everyone does, but whoever is of God listens to them. And if someone doesn't, they want to pick and choose their favorite passages, their favorite verses, the ones that are easiest to understand, the ones that are seemingly less controversial, and they want to reject the more confusing and more controversial. No, whoever is of God listens to us. We accept it. And when it's confusing, we say we accept it. We accept that it's confusing, but what it says, it says. What it means, it means. We're not going to play with it. We're not going to twist it. We're not going to adjust it. We're not going to distort it. All that it says, we receive it for what it is, the very word of God. Now, secondly, we start to dig more carefully into this passage. Not only we started with an understanding of the name, and I want to get into, secondly, we see in this passage an avoiding of the name of Jesus. 
Look at this avoiding of the name of Jesus that begins in that's mentioned in chapter 5, verse 28. Remember, they put these men in prison because they were speaking in the name of Christ. And then the angel had brought them out of the prison. Now we get a little details as the story unfolds there that as the angel brought them out of the prison, the prison was nonetheless left in a state where the doors were closed, the gates were locked, and the guards were present. So it leaves us a little bit of mystery as to how did these men get out? The same mystery that was being faced by the guards as well as these men. But you see how they are avoiding the name of Jesus. Look at with me at, at Acts chapter 5 verse 28. As they're speaking. The, the, here the high priest actually is speaking to the apostles and says this in verse 28. Saying, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. You have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Do you hear what's happening in that verse there? This name, this man's, it's almost as if they don't even want to say Jesus at this point anymore. They want to avoid the name. They want to have little or nothing to do with it. They want to distance themselves from this name. But we see that the, the avoiding of the name is one thing because their heart's desire, our third thought, is a silencing of the name of Jesus. And that for that, we see it over, look in verse 40 with me. When later on, they will release them, they will say this to them. They called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Same thing back in chapter 4. They, they let them go and told them, strictly charged them, do not speak in the name of Jesus. And they went back and prayed. They want to silence the name of Jesus being spoken to others. They want to avoid the name of Jesus being spoken by themselves. But brothers and sisters, we will not be silent. Because there is no other name given among men, whereby we must be saved. There is no other name that carries with it such importance, such significance, such meaning, and such truth. And so it opens up and we see our fourth thought today, and that is the proclaiming of the name of Jesus. It says this, as soon as they've said, and I find this very interesting, as soon as in verse uh, They've told them in verse 28, not to speak in this name. You intend to bring this man's blood on us. Verse 29 says, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised Jesus. You said, this name, this man, the God of our fathers raised Jesus. What do they do right there again? When they're told, don't talk in this man's name. Don't speak of this name. Don't take the name. And what do they do? God raised Jesus. They took the name once again. I, I, I love the, the boldness that's displayed there. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior. 
to give repentance to Israel, even the forgiveness of sin. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey them. Oh, what, a, what an amazing uh, picture here. Now listen, oh, uh, some get confused here, and I just want to give this little caveat for instruction. It says in verse 31, God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sin. So the question comes, was repentance only and exclusively for Israel? And our answer is, no, it was not, praise God, because most of us don't have that background. But what we do know is that it was first to the Jew. And then to the Gentile. When Jesus had given them instruction, he had said that uh, a few things. First of all, Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, then also to the Greek. Jesus reminded, instructed them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so when this begins to unfold, really in Luke chapter 24, Jesus uh, speaks with his apostles and says he opens their mind to understand the scriptures, verse 45, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed to all nations. Repentance and forgiveness of sin shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And so they were starting there among the children of Israel and declaring that forgiveness was for them, but not exclusive to them. Indeed, it would be from those Lost sheep that are not only from the fold of Israel, but from many other folds. Actually, God has ransomed for himself in Christ a people from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation. Every group. The gospel will go to the ends of the earth and there will not be a people group that is not represented among God's fold God's sheep want us to note this first of all uh, in the looking at this proclaiming the name of Jesus one obedience to God is not optional all right is uh, more than that it's not occasional first of all both of those things we're going to look at it obedience to God is not occasional obedience to God is not optional it's not only when it's convenient it's not only when it's expedient, it's not only when it's comfortable. Uh, I, I love the way that this unfolds because they're, they're just as they're attacking them saying, we told you not to speak in, in this name. You're trying to bring this man's blood on us. Oh, you told us not to speak in his name? Well, we're going to do it. Matter of fact, we're going to do it right now, right here to you. The guys who had just put us in prison for doing this, who have called us in to do it again, and you're telling us again not to do it, and you know what? Here we go. This Jesus. I love that. 
You know, it, it, it's, it's not, uh, wow, this could be dangerous. Let's just, uh, sometimes, and I, I think that we are called in this world to be wise as serpents and harmless as dove, but sometimes people play the wisdom card as an excuse to not be bold, to not be unashamed. No, there is no greater wisdom than the wisdom that is in Christ. Among men, Solomon was the top notch. But you know what did Jesus say? A greater wisdom than the wisdom of Solomon has come. And so I want to tell you this, no matter what the occasion, we do not back down. It does not, it's not occasional, it's not when it's convenient. And I also want us to note that obedience is not optional. As they came before them and they're scolding them, in verse 29 it says this, we must obey God rather than man. Now, note this, I mean, and that's gloriously true, isn't it? Men are going to say one thing. The culture may say things. The laws might start to pass in certain ways that violate the laws of God. Where are we going to stand? And I want us to note this, we stand with God. But there's something also that's laced into this, if you really think of it. These men are telling them not to speak in the name. And their response is, we must obey God rather than man. Which kind of means this. You're not obeying God. <laughs> Your command, over here. God's command, over here. You guys aren't on the same camp. You're in a different place. You think that as the Sanhedrin, you represent God. You think that you speak on behalf of God. You don't. Jesus did. And Jesus appointed these men as his witnesses. And that's why when we want to say, I want to hear from God. He speaks to us through his living word right here in the New Testament. Through these men that he had appointed powerfully and clearly. Obedience is not optional. I also want to note something um, in here that's interesting and maybe some may find it uncomfortable. But listen, even if it's uncomfortable, you got to make sure you see this. Is it what the scripture says? You know, don't get bugged if what I, if what I say you know likey. Ask yourself this question. Is he saying the, what the Bible says? Obedience is not optional. Further, I'll also note this. It, it says this in this brief gospel presentation, verse 30 and following. It says, um, the God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging on a tree. God exalt him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel, forgiveness of sin. We are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. One thing I want to note this. On the day of Pentecost, what was announced? Repent and be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Once again, here in this brief gospel presentation, there is a declaration concerning the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Paul is confused and we'll see it later in Acts chapter 19. He meets a group of disciples and says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. What? How have you not heard of the Holy Spirit? Have you not heard the gospel? I dare say that there's too many 
presentations of the gospel that don't present the entire Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, some groups have maybe become afraid of certain extremes that are claimed in the name of the Spirit that they avoid the Spirit. We can't and must not avoid the Spirit of God. He is the Holy Spirit and he is essential. But I want you to notice this. The Holy Spirit whom he has given to those who obey him. It's like, wait a second here. Um, I've always been taught to those who believe him. How dare you say to those who obey him? And I say, uh, I was reading. I didn't say it. <laughs> I'm simply repeating what the word of God says. And here's the reason why. And we've got to get this clear in our heads. Within the grace of God, by the spirit of God that works in us. Those who believe, obey. That, that faith brings about obedience. So that the scriptures are comfortable to use these words interchangeably. Listen to another verse that I did not write. Note this. I did not write a single verse in the Bible. It says this in John 3, 6. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Now, realistically, if I had written that verse, I would have thought the right use of language is whoever believes, eternal life. Whoever does not believe, the wrath of God. Makes sense, right? And it is also true. But what's interesting is the Spirit of God chose to give us through the apostle these words where it says whoever believes has eternal life and those who does not Obey the wrath of God. Because one of the things we note is this. Uh, back in that verse. So is the Holy Spirit whom God has given. Note the language. Has given to those who obey him. All right. So I, I hope you're seeing my hand here. The Holy Spirit that he has given to those who obey. It's not you obey and then he gives you the Holy Spirit as a reward. No, 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 no. When you obey, you realize that you have come to obey because he has given the Spirit to you. The Spirit of God is what breaks us free from the dominion of sin through the hearing of the gospel. Turns our hearts from these vain and worthless things to follow the true and living God. It, it takes us who were slaves to sin, Romans chapter 6, and causes us to be obedient from the heart. Oh, that's the language of, of uh, Romans 6. So again, are we saved by obedience? No, saved by faith. But listen, the faith that God by his spirit works in us is not a dead and lifeless dormant faith. It's a transforming faith. It's a life-giving faith. It's one that brings us into a glorious life of obedience to God in Christ Jesus. One more verse I'll share along these lines. Um, it says, 
says this in Hebrews chapter 5. Well, let's look at 2 in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 says this. And being made perfect, that is Christ, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I got to admit, it makes me a little uncomfortable. It makes me a little uncomfortable to read those words because I know that it is by faith, it is because by our believing. But what the scripture is trying to emphasize to you and me is that those who truly believe, obey. And that, that maybe is important because we do live in a world where we do see this tragic reality too often, don't we? People who profess Christ and claim to be believers, but just live like the rest of the world does. It isn't by changing yourself that you become a Christian. It is by the grace of God in Christ, through the Spirit and the Gospel, changing you. Making you new. Bringing you out of sin. Making you obedient from the heart that changes everything. It says this in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18 and following. To whom did he swear, speaking of the Old Testament, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. Now, interestingly enough, the King James there says, believeth not. But they translate the same word in 1 Peter 3.20 as disobedient, because it's a different word here. Uh, they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were, verse 19, unable to enter because of unbelief. These things go together. Unbelief, disobedience, two sides of the same coin. Belief, obedience. These things are indelibly, indivisibly linked. You know, we, we, we say, you know, um, you know, one nation, indivisible. And it's like, really? It seems to be fragmenting all over the place. But the reality, is, the thing that is indivisible is what? The grace of God that brings us into union with Christ, unites us with the life of Christ, and changes us from who we are to who he would have us be. Okay. I also want to move, now move on to the next point. It says this. Our fifth thought today is glorying in Jesus. It says this in verse... Uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 40. When they called the apostles in. So after Gamaliel has told them. Hey look. We have this history of, of a man saying he was a great. And a man saying he was something. A lot of people following him. But it fizzled. It, it, it died out. So what are we worried about? So, so let's not worry about it. If this is, if this is of men. It will fail. But if it is of God, it will not fail. Indeed, you will be found to be opposing God. I guess I should throw this in at this point. Opposition to God is not advisable. It's a bad plan. It will ultimately fail. But here we have them. They call them in. Now, I... I don't, in my estimation, I don't, it doesn't strike me that they fully heeded Gamaliel's word. Because when they call the men in, they don't just tell them, hey, shush, keep it down, no more. They beat them. I mean, that, that is a 
a pretty demonstrable experiential physical incentive to shut the mouth, right? I mean, they beat them. But, look, but we understand what it also says. And they beat them and charged them to know uh, not to speak in the name. So you put those things together. Beat, beat, don't speak. So what, are, what, what should be in their mind next time they go to speak? I'm going to get a beating. You know, this isn't... All right, I know exactly where this leads. And it hurts. Do I want this? Well, nobody wants the beating per se, but we must please God rather than ourselves. And so here it is, they, and I'm amazed at this, and it's one of those things that makes your head spin. They left the presence of the council, verse 41, rejoicing. You know, uh, I mean, we live in a world where uh, all punishment these days are timeouts. You know, it's a different world. Was not the world I grew up in. My dad knew nothing of timeouts. You know, he, he, he knew the rod, you know, and he had backup rods and everything, whatever was necessary. And, and, and the reality is this. I can't remember a single time that, that me and the rod had communion that I rejoiced. <laughs> I can't think of a single time that when dad left the room, I was like, that was great. You know, this is fantastic. Can't wait till next time. No, no, no. I, it, it was a, a, an experience that I wanted to desperately avoid being repeated. And yet these men step out from a beating. Now, now the terminology there, you know, it, it, it's, not, it's not just a little tap on the shoulder. It's not just, it, it, these men were beaten. It, it, it's a painful ordeal. And they leave rejoicing. Now, are they rejoicing that they were beaten? Are they rejoicing in their agony? No, they're rejoicing in the name that they are committed to. They are so committed to the name of Christ. And what did Christ experience at the hands of men? He was despised and rejected. He was beaten, he was mocked, and he was crucified. And he says, you know what? Those who follow me will experience the same thing. They hated me, they will hate you. They persecuted me, they will persecute you also. This is what you will experience. And so these men, as strange as it is, as they walk away from that painful occasion, they have this, we're doing it right. We're doing it right. When God is pleased, his enemies are not. Sometimes I wonder. It tells us in, in Timothy... All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And we often speak of how, how um, in some countries, Christians in the, in the church faces a great degree of persecutions. But in America, we don't. That's true. We don't as much. But I wonder if one of the reasons we don't is because we don't do a thing. We don't speak. We don't speak boldly. We look around and, and when it's convenient, when it's comfortable, when it's somebody we think is agreeable. These men did not wait until they built a bridge of a good relationship and rapport with these men. 
Did they? No. Did they wait until it seemed like an opportune time? It, are they in the mood to hear the gospel? I don't know. Is it, will it be appropriate right now? They didn't care about any of that, did they? What was first and foremost on their mind is nothing else matters as much as Christ. And these men who are opposing it, they need to understand that nothing matters as much as Christ. You know, these people talking about the weather, they need to understand that the weather doesn't happen on its own. God's in control of the weather. These men who are talking about this, this athlete and this game and this event and all these skills, they need to understand that a man has nothing unless it's given to him from above. We need to understand that everything that we ever experience, it all goes back to God. And it all goes back to Christ. Because in Him, everything is upheld by the word of His power. All things, as it says in John 1, 2, all things were made through Him. And so they are glorying in the name. Worthy, worthy to suffer dishonor. We're doing, we're doing it so good that we are getting it so bad. The idea here is, is not just suffer dishonor. That is to be shamefully mistreated. And, and, and it gets even less comfortable here. The, the term, if you go back into the Greek, it is a term where people are being denied their civil rights. Denied what is due. Not only being mistreated, but they're being wrongfully mistreated. I like this because they're rejoicing. You know what they're not doing? God, we were serving you. You didn't protect us. What are you doing? Why didn't you save us? We were speaking for your name. And, and as they raised the rods, you didn't, you didn't intervene. You let it happen. How easy would, would we tend to go to complaining rather than rejoicing? God help us to be not so rooted in the flesh. They, they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And the fifth thing, not only were they glorying in Jesus, but they were unrelenting for the name of Jesus. Look what it says. They came out having been beaten, rejoiced. Verse 42. And every day in the temple and from house to house, public and private, every day. What did they do? They did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And I think this. For the believer. Can a day go by that we don't speak of Christ? Can a day go by that we don't think of Christ? I'm not saying this to judge you. That you will feel bad if that has happened. I'm saying this to stir you up. How can we? We've got nothing apart from him. So in simple review, we've seen six things, and I'll just draw your attention to these things. One, an understanding of Jesus, an understanding of the name of Jesus. He is the God who saves. Secondly, these men were avoiding the name of Jesus, the Sanhedrin. We don't want to avoid the name. It's, it's unnerving when people are willing to avoid the name. And others work hard to silence the name. But what we see is the commitment of the disciples here to proclaim the name. Some will avoid. Some will seek to silence. But by the grace of God, we will proclaim. Amen. We proclaim the name of Jesus because obedience to God is not occasional. We proclaim the name of Jesus because obedience to God is not optional. 
We proclaim the name of Jesus because opposition to God is not advisable. We glory in the name of Jesus that he might consider us worthy to suffer for his name. And we will, by God's grace, be unrelenting for the name of Jesus every day, publicly and in house to house. Because it is the name above every other name. There is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. We ourselves will have a new name written upon us. Brothers and sisters, let us glory in the name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. Because there is none like you. And when we read your word, you, you give us truth. That would never come to men's mind. Lord we thank you that you prove to us through your word. That, that you are the true God. We don't simply follow this religion or that religion. By the grace of God we follow that which is true. There is only one true and living God. There is only one true way. Truth and life. There is no other. And Lord we thank you for the, the way that once again today. As we look through Acts 5. We could focus on the glory of the name of Christ. He who has seen Christ, Jesus said, has seen the Father. The exact representation. So that if we would understand the, the perfections of God, the glory of God, the power and purposes of God. All find their fullness in Christ Jesus. Lord, may we all the more find our fullness in Him. And may it not be one that we simply feel deep within our heart. But may it well up within us that we speak. And we speak regularly, we speak boldly, we speak relentlessly, because you are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.